Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For you, the listeners of the Jiggy Jaguar Experience, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Personally, I recommend End of Watch by Stephen King. Check out audible.com. It is amazing. Check out A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com slash J-A-G-U-A-R. That's audibletrial.com slash J-A-G-U-A-R. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash jaguar. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash jaguar for your free audiobook. But an incredible new marketing partner on Transmedia Worldwide, Change of Heart, a film by Pickle Tick Video Club. That's right. A love story about two women torn apart too soon. Let's tell you a little bit about this. Check out Indiegogo.com. With this film, we hope to remind people that it wasn't long ago that gay marriage was illegal. And the LGBT community were second-rate citizens with limited legal recourse. Through change of heart, we will relieve a moment prior to legalized marriage in the United States. Leading character, Becky, must overcome the limitations placed on her by society, as well as make a life-altering decision regarding her loved one. Check it out on Indiegogo.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. Change of Heart, a film. Check it out today. And tell them you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Jiggy Jaguar. Neil Bortz with us today. He's got- If they put Fox News on, liberals will complain. Uh-huh. If they put CNN on... Conservatives are going to complain. Jiggy Jaguar. We've got Tom Donahue with us today. I started to organize, uh, and no, not like Obama. Jiggy Jaguar. Publisher of Talkers Magazine, Michael Harrison. And uh, it's a lot of fun, and, and it's very informative, and uh, it, it does a lot of things. One, it, it's www.jiggyjaguar.com. We've got an incredible new marketing partner with us today, Transmedia Worldwide. Q-L-I-P-P is the ultimate tennis performance sensor. It measures every part of your stroke, analyzing the spin, speed, and sweet spot accuracy of each shot. Designed to improve your game with the most advanced analytics possible, check out igg.me slash at slash Q-L-I-P-P. Oh, that's right. It's an amazing, amazing new product. Check out igg.me slash at slash Q-L-I-P-P. Welcome back to our big broadcast, coast to coast and border to border on TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and of course, 50-plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world, iHeartRadio as well. Jigman Freud with you. Check out JiggyJaguar.com for more information. Also, check out our other website, JiggyJaguar.us. You can stream the show live, 24-7 replay, exclusive news and programming information, all available on our fantastic, fantastic app. Now, before we get back into our next segment here on the world-famous Chiggy Jaguar radio broadcast, let's talk to you about our brand-new marketing partner here at Transmedia Worldwide. TooManyFunerals.com is dedicated to spreading awareness of the subject of overdose prevention. Naxalone and its administration, the opioid epidemic, and recovery for our all medications and addictions. We intend to raise funds to sponsor any addict who wants to be in recovery, but either doesn't have the insurance or can't afford it for some reason. With your support, we can make a difference across the nation. Thank you for your consideration on this. Go to the website, TooManyFunerals.com, or get the funds raining in at G-O-F-U-N-D-M-E dot C-O-M. Slash too many funerals. That's GoFundMe.com slash too many funerals. One more time, check out G O F U N D M E 
com slash T-O-O-M-A-N-Y-F-U-N-E-R-A-L-S. That's GoFundMe.com slash Too Many Funerals. And tell them, you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Check out GoFundMe.com slash Too Many Funerals. We are going to go to Cody Wilson here in just a second. The fantastic Cody Wilson. Hello? I believe this is Cody Wilson. How are you, sir? It's James Lowe with iHeartRadio. Hey. How are you today? I'm doing good. How's it going? Pretty good, actually. We have got a uh, great guest with us today. He joins us live. Cody Wilson is back on our broadcast, and uh, he is fantastic. He got a, a lot of rave reviews last time we had him on the broadcast. I wanted to have him on again today. There is a lot going on uh, in the world around us, and uh, Cody, you're a... Uh, your last appearance on this broadcast several months ago, a lot of people uh, loved your insight and uh, loved, loved everything about you. And uh, Cody is the owner and proprietor of GhostGunner.net. He's also the author of the groundbreaking book, Come and Take It, The Gun Printer's Guide to Thinking Free. And he joins us today here on iHeartRadio and AMFM247.com. Now, um... There, there is a member of Congress shot. Uh, there's a lot of people that uh, are uh, are now once again drudging up gun control <laughs> problems again. Tell us a little bit about this uh, shooting and 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 why um, you you call for Congress to arm up. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, you know, it's it's funny when I and first of all, I have to thank you for the. For the compliments, that's yes. that's really kind of you, man. I, yes, that's, I, I'm happy to hear that, but uh, and happy to be back. But you know, I, the Congress kind of stole my thunder, really. I mean, some of the congressmen, I remember some of the first messaging after the shooting, other than oh, you know, our political discourse is toxic. Uh, one of the congressmen said, you know, next time I go to the baseball game, I'm going to have to carry. Well, you know, that's the kind of messaging I wanted to see, and that's uh, essentially my point. Uh, you know, there's no, there isn't going to be a, a permanent uh, securitization. Uh, baseball stadiums and games and places, I mean, in the public's life, much less in Congress's life. And the reaction, if this is able to become about gun control, is, and it likely will if, if Representative Scalise doesn't survive. I'm sorry to kind of put it in stark terms, but, but if it doesn't, then this, this certainly should be a way of, of really maintaining, uh, this piece of rhetoric that, like, we have to, we have to be armed in public spaces. The political environment is not allowing any other alternative. We've got a, a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. Cody Wilson is with us. And uh, people have uh, called you the Steve Jobs of the Second Amendment. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about this title. Uh, that's that's more, more a compliment than I deserve, I'm sure. But uh, you know what? I'll take it, okay? I think the, uh, the future of the Second Amendment is going to be digital. And I mean it only because, not, not that it will change the articles themselves. We all love our... Our historic guns. We all love the the guns that we inherited from our families and our fathers, and and these main, you know, these these remain in, incredible pieces of, of equipment, and we will always make them in these traditional ways. But the internet is better assisting us and allowing us not only to purchase them, and we all understand that revolution, uh, and to talk about them like we see on YouTube, but also to make them uh, and to to modify them, to customize them. The, the future uh, of the Second Amendment and our access to arms is going to be intermediated by the internet despite the will of world governments and surveillance powers to kind of stop that right now. And that's that's what my company represents. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. And uh, this th- this whole thing with this uh, this shooting, um, is, is this just basically because we've got such a toxic environment uh, as, as far as political rhetoric and some of the different things going on out there? Well, yeah, I... I agree with uh, Potter's, uh piece in the New York in the New York Post yesterday that obviously something is breaking down. Uh, you know, if we, if we were kind of in the post-war period, if we kind of settled into a, a classic two-party system where we, you know, we we, we, we both kind of uh, understood each other as control opposition and everybody was centrist. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats at the end of the day both kind of were chummy chummy with each other. What's happening now? is like what Akhil Amar says, you know, we're, we're reproducing the kind of house divided of the pre-Civil War period. And that's not to imply that a war is coming, but it is to imply that, I mean, it, you can go back and look historically, it is the same states uh, that participated 
the first time around in the conflict, uh, that have, they've redrawn their, their historical divisions in their battle lines, if you will. Uh, these states, you know, voted Republican, uh, the old Confederacy, and then the, the old Union are, are now basically the Hillary Clinton states. I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable. Now, again, I'm not trying to say a war is coming, but we're at a point where our disgust, our partisan disgust with each other is complete. And there's no, you know, the Internet is making this easier, but there's not really a, a space for actually trying to convince each other that our ideas um, are superior. There's only a space of kind of drawing permanent conflict and showing fraud and everything. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think things are good. I certainly don't think uh, the anxieties uh, that we're feeling right now should excuse or allow uh, new controls of our civil liberties. And I, I think most people would agree with me there. We've got a great guest with us today. Cody Wilson joins us here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast, Border to Border on iHeartRadio. Tune in, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and, of course, the brand-new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store, JiggyJaguar.us. Now, um, that there has also been, uh, you know, not just this situation uh, here in the United States, but uh, we, we had this uh, situation uh, a couple weeks ago with ISIS uh, striking London, Paris, uh, a lot of these places. Um, your book is fantastic, and uh, a lot of folks are looking to this now that terrorism seems to be more more of, a, of an issue. Um, give, us, give us a little bit of details on this, because basically you can make your own gun at home to basically stop ISIS or any type of problems that you have with anything. That's right. That's Our company basically represents this this line of reasoning uh, for the future of the Second Amendment. You know, we have a product called the Ghost Gunner that allows you to make from 80% what are called, you know, incomplete receivers. You can make your own AR-15, your own AR-308, and, and soon uh, pistols like the 1911 and, and even Glock frames. And, you know, what we're concerned about is that Obviously, in a, in a, a historical moment of rising uh, tensions and demographic chaos and uh, the kind of expressed desire of states to really control the flow of, uh, of people and what they search for and what they try to do, we're worried that like this activity will increasingly be seen with suspicion. Uh, the activity, I mean, uh, of producing your own guns. Like just, just recently, I think just today, Canada, for example, declared that all unfinished uh, firearm receivers were just de facto machine guns. You know, all, all this type of activity of maintaining your own uh, private defense and, uh, and food stores and being off the grid, that this will all be slowly become part of a, a narrative of counterterrorism and controlling for, you, you know what I'm saying, this, kind of this ISIS threat. So basically we want to not be, we want to be part of the conversation, like when you see all these attacks and, you, and we, we talk about how do we reasonably defend ourselves in the public square, but we also want to prevent uh, states in the name of security and preventative counterterrorism measures from taking away vital aspects of our rights. And so we, we have to very quickly use the Internet and allow the Internet to be a safe space for this type of data to allow you to make your own guns for yourself, and we have to protect that as best we can, that space. Um, so it's a kind of it's a very complicated role that we have. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. Cody Wilson joins us here on our big broadcast as a part of the fantastic iHeartRadio and AMFM 247.com uh, today. Cody Wilson is owner proprietor of GhostGunner.net. He's also the author of a groundbreaking, uh, fantastic book, Come and Take It. Uh, how's the book doing, my friend? Hey, the book's good. You know, no one told me what, what to even do once we got this far into the sales. I mean, uh, you know, I wish I, I wish I knew more about book marketing, but you know, like word of mouth, and uh, I, I guess the book would do even better if Hillary Clinton was elected president. But you know, uh, I'll take it. It's fine. I'm really glad she's not, and I'm really glad that the Second Amendment has at least another few years. Uh, now that we have, you know, a new conser- supposedly conservative justice on the on the Supreme Court, I'm, uh, you know, I think I think the book is uh, going to be one of those things that people turn to from time to time when they want to understand how. How the internet revolution and the digital revolution are merging uh, with our with our interests in the the right to keep and bear arms. 
We've got a, a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast and Border to Border on TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and the brand new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store, JiggyJaguar.us. You can stream the show live, 24-7 replay, exclusive news and programming information. Cody Wilson with us today. GhostGunner.net is the uh, official uh, website for Cody. And uh, why did you decide to write this book? I guess I could say uh, it's really just a, a recounting of the history of our company. Our company began as uh, a software company while a number of us were in school, and myself included, and, and we were inspired by WikiLeaks. We decided, you know, if, if the revolution that we were seeing taking place with WikiLeaks and, and diplomatic cables probably meant something uh, special for the, the future of the firearm, and we thought, well, you know, if you could kind of imagine a world where the Internet is serving firearms, not just, you know, diplomatic cables or, or money. I mean, this is a truly revolutionary condition, and maybe we could kind of score a, a victory for the common man and better allow anybody, I mean, not just people in the United States, but anybody in the world to, to better arm themselves and, and have, a, have a say about their own individual capacity for sovereignty and really kind of score a blow for freedom, you know. So that was the inspiration of our company, and the book is a cataloging, a recounting of, of how we built it from nothing, you know, how you go from zero to one. Uh, so startup people like it, you know, people that are in the maker movement like it. It's it's just a kind of honest story, you know, there's not a lot of embellishment. It's uh, just what we did, how we did it, and how we got to where we are now. And where we are now is complicated as well. Like, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. talk about that. Now, uh, well, I mean... Go, go ahead, ahead and give us, give us the details on something like this, yeah, because it is complicated. Well, like, you know, it's always... I, I always debate, like, where how much to explain uh, the kind of current state of our project and the law and everything, because some people don't believe it. Some people then be- begin to believe that, well, you, know, you must be exaggerating, but it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. After, after we released the first 3D printed gun, and that's kind of our claim to fame, we, we figured out how to 3D print guns, and we figured, you know, look, the, the very first thing we should do with this is uh, disclose this information to the public, not to, not to scare anyone, but to, to basically say, look, this is going to be the future of the firearm, Everyone's going to have it. The public's going to have it first, and there's no real way for governments to control the information. But when we kind of made that statement uh, and disclosed that information, the United States government uh, immediately uh, went, in, went into an operation of trying to you know, contain uh, and, and prevent everything that we were doing. And they had to basically kind of invent uh, a set of authorities because, of course, you know, no one had imagined anything like this would happen. There's no laws about it anywhere in the world. So the United States kind of very quickly, through its State Department, Barack Obama's State Department, kind of invented a way of controlling what we were doing through old arms export statutes developed in the in the Cold War. And look, man, for I guess three years now, my company's been in federal court. Uh, we've been uh, engaged with a suit against the State Department about whether they can in fact control, you know, the development and release of our own private, you know, research. Um, and it's it's actually a pretty bitter conflict, man. We've been all the way to the to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and in August we'll appeal to the Supreme Court. So you know, when I I guess when I tell people about our project, you know, when you when you buy a ghost gunner or when you buy eighty percent arms from us, it it sponsors our continued fight with uh, with the oppression of the, the United States government. We've got uh, Cody Wilson with us today. He joins us live here on our broadcast, and uh, now. The headline here from this uh, from this individual was "Kill as many Republicans as possible," is what this gunman said. Um, yeah, that is a <laughs> horrid thing to say. Um, what 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 was what was some of the reaction that 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 you heard from folks and uh, and different things in, in in your neck of the woods? Well, I'll tell you, man. The first the first reaction we got was, "Oh no, if it's an AR." We're all in trouble. It doesn't matter, you know, that the guy wasn't a right-winger shooting at Democrats, although that would have been worse. But uh, we thought if it was an Air 15, this was going to be an issue. And we thought if old, if old Rep Scalise didn't make it through, that would be a big issue, too. So, like, my, you know, our prayers are with his family and him, and we wish him a speedy recovery. But, gosh, uh, I, don't, I still don't trust uh, congressional Republicans, you know, much more than congressional Democrats on the issue of gun rights. So I think we're in a, our rights are in a precarious position as long as one of them is you know, exposed this way. But I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's it's kind of insensitive, but I have to say, 
uh, the shooter must, you know, he's one of the poorest shots ever, if I have to be frank about it. I mean, he's out there for that long shooting that many bullets. And, uh, look, it just tells me that this the psychotic, rabid left isn't exactly ready for Civil War II, if you know what I'm saying. So I took some comfort in it that way. Well, Cody, I appreciate you making time for us today. Before we let you go, how do we get a hold of you online and social media and all that? Hey, we're uh, Defense Distributed online. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, as you said so many times, and I thank you, our, our flagship site is ghostgunner.net. We allow people to make farms at home. Uh, cheap and easy, automated, the way the Internet should make it be. And uh, I just really appreciate the time, man. Well, I appreciate you making time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. Hey, a pleasure. Thank you. Definitely, man. Have a good day. Cody Wilson with us today here on iHeartRadio and AMFM247.com. Build, grow, and enjoy. And uh, thanks for joining us today here on our program. We're going to go to Jay Izzo here in just a few moments. Uh, get a hold of us, CheekyJaguar.com. Also, JagShow.com for our podcast. We do a, um, I guess, weekly? Would that be it? Considered it? I don't know. Is it considered weekly? Uh, who knows? Who knows? If you want to get a hold of us, that's the best spot to get a hold of us, jagshow.com. You can also find our Amazon links, help us do some, help, help yourself and help our production costs do some shopping through Amazon. Also, uh, tune in iTunes Radio Loyalty, all the usual stuff. All the usual fun, 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 fun stiff. Uh, I got recruited <laughs> by somebody to, uh, to write a article for the USA Today Weekly Magazine. So, um... We are going to do that, so it it it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. So we're going to do that. And tonight, if you're listening to us live on the stream. We are going to be doing the uh, live from Salina this evening. The big stars, the big stars are going to be out. Big stars, stars of stage and screen will be with us. They'll be out there. They'll be making it happen. Uh. We're supposed to talk to this Barry Menzi guy here in a few moments. Barry Menzi, that guy, he's kind of a prick. I shouldn't say he's a prick. He might be listening. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Actually, no, he's not. <laughs> he's kind of a hack. Okay. Uh, we are going to go to Jim Pwog here in a few moments. Jim Pwog. It's a, uh, it's going to be a Father's Day interview here in a few. We're going to see if we can get him on. Jim Pwog. Let's call him. You're going to get a hold of us. You can do so all over the place. Tune in iTunes Radio Loyalty. It's waited to go. See if Jim will pick up the phone here. Hello, this is Jim Pogue. There's Jim. How are you? It's James Lowe with iHeartRadio and AMFM247.com. I apologize uh, for calling a little late. We had a, a previous guest that uh, we we ran over with, but I've got you now. How are you, sir? Right. I am fine. Are you giving, by that uh, story, are you giving me permission to take an extra hour? I'm you just can, kidding. You- you can you can do whatever you want, my friend. Hold on, I'm gonna, That's right, because you can you have the edit button. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna latch in our uh, our co-host for uh, for the program, Jay Izzo. Here, hold on just a second. We'll bring him in, and um, a a great interview coming up here in a few moments. Heading into Father's Day with a uh, uh, father daughter author team and uh, their brand new book. Uh, now, uh, I think Jay Izzo is there. Maybe not. It says he's there. 
but I don't hear him. So we will go with Jim Pogue. He is with us today. He is a uh, he is uh, combined with a uh, with his daughter to do a writing team. They they combine their technical systems engineering background, which is Jim's, and creative experience and fashion, which was Jennifer's, to uh, put together Flair Design Your Daily Work products and services to energize customers, colleagues, and audiences. And uh, Jim with us today here in our program. Um, tell us a little bit about writing. And, and co-writing a book, uh, what, what was that experience like? Oh, yes, I'd be glad to share that with you. Um, I, I think the key thing to our success in getting through writing a book was, was uh, respect for each other. Uh, I didn't consider my daughter you know, a junior member of the team, and she didn't consider me uh, you know, an old fogey and somebody who didn't know up-to-date things. So, you know, we, of course, had uh, disagreements and different suggestions, but we always came to a uh, reasonable resolution. I think some of the more interesting things were not so much from a father-daughter, but from two different generations. Um, I would write something, and Jennifer would say, Dad, people don't use that expression anymore. And she'd write something, and I'd say, I don't understand this. So we'd work together on those and try to get it from both viewpoints. And, of course, I think it made a richer uh, product in the end. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. Jim Pope joins us here in our broadcast. And uh, this, this book is incredibly well written. Tell me a little bit about the writing process for the book. Okay. Well, our book is about flair, which is how to add some wow or pizzazz to what you do and what you communicate. Uh, it was primarily aimed for the business uh, community and since in not only for products and service, but your own work. How do you energize your colleagues and your managers and clients and customers about your ideas? Energized people are more likely to act and remember and follow up with you. So we wanted the, the book to be written with some flair, but we wanted it to be sincere. So um, we we didn't put in cute drawings or have different fonts on a page or have text, ba- text boxes or things we thought would give a flashy appearance but wouldn't be truly relevant to the content. So we decided to uh, write the book using the what's called the creative or narrative nonfiction style. This is used by writers such as Malcolm Gladwell, Tracy Kidder, Joan Didion. Uh, it began in the, in the 60s for people like Truman C- Capote, Gay, uh, Talese, and such. Um, now, business books are usually not written in this style, so so we did uh, work at doing it for a book that would help people in their everyday work. When I say a business book, it's not just for a manager or somebody owning a company, but anybody who wants to uh, be an energizer at work. So um, we worked carefully to both be sincere and uh, provide substance in the book, but at the same time write it in an easy-to-read and engaging style that pulls the reader along. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. I believe uh, Jay Izzo has joined us. Jay, can you hear me, my friend? Yes, I can. There we are. Look at that. The the, the golden tones of Jay Izzo. Uh, (laughs) Hello, Jay. This is Jim Pope. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am very well today. Thank you. We are awesome. we are talking about Flair, which is uh, uh, Jim's uh, brand new book that he's uh, written and co uh, co authored here with his uh, daughter Jennifer. Now, um, before I let Jay jump in there, a- answer another question for me here. How to, tell me a little bit about how you created an emotional connection with clients and customers with this book. What's some of your goals with the book? Okay, uh, first let me just say that my daughter Jennifer would be on this interview with her, uh, but she's been living in London for about a year now. She went over to get a master's in fashion design management at the um, London College of Fashion, and she's still over there busy working, applying for PhD programs where she hopes to uh, work on um, designing athletic wear for persons with disabilities. Otherwise, she would be with us. Okay, we, we, one of the concepts we have that we hoped readers, and I hope I can explain it well enough for your audience today, is to really think about 
what it is you're working on at work and what the message is you want to get across it. And we call this getting to the essence of what you're doing. It's really not just on a rational level, what are you working on, but emotionally, how, how will it engage with people. The example we like to use is Apple's iPod, their first uh, portable uh, device, which was music listening. There had been MP3 players before that, which had lots of bells and whistles on them, but hadn't caught on. But Apple realized it wasn't about a device that plays music. It was about having music with you anytime you wanted it. Steve Jobs characterized it as a thousand songs in your pocket. Jennifer and I like to go a little more fundamental uh, in that it, the joy of music is always with you. So once you understand sort of at a gut level what pers a person's going to find appealing in some ideas or what you're working on, um, then you can work on designing it for that and not just for features and hardware. So I, what I'm hearing and what I'm hearing you say with that is basically this is why Guy Kawasaki had the job he had of being the evangelist. Yes. Right? From yes, he was the marketing evangelist for all these things when Apple first started, and he was creating an emotional connection between the user and the experience that he wanted to get. Because as we know psychologically, right, if we can be emotionally attached to a thing, a person, or or some other service, the likelihood that we're going to not only use it, but we're going to also tell others about it. Right. That, that's a very good way to put it. Uh, one uh, a colleague, a friend of mine that I've worked with who happens to work in marketing says our book's about baking the marketing in to your product or whatever it is you're working on at, at work. Uh, we also talk about using techniques like storytelling and creating experience uh, for, for your customers, uh, you know, in Instead of just designing the, the, the product to do something, uh, what's the story about how it will engage with the customer or user and the story of the value it will create? And how can you explain to someone, the ex create an experience for them in using what you're proposing? People are much more likely to understand and adopt it and, of course, uh, you know, as you said, get engaged emotionally with it. Well, I, I think, James, too, I, you hit on some really great points here. Because one of the things uh, I think that the world, we, we don't expect, we, we expect customer service, but we're really looking for a, an experience in everything, right? Because we just have the expectation that we're going to get the service. And then right. when it comes to storytelling from the psychological, my psychological perspective anyway, is that this is where I think, you know, businesses have to be so clear about identifying who is your consumer or your customer because the same story is not going to work for every consumer or customer. And I think you have to be really, really clear that if we're going to be, you know, if we're going to use storytelling as part of our marketing, do we know that customer well enough to know what kind of story resonates with them? What kind of story emotionally will connect with them? And I think that becomes important. Would you not agree with that? Oh, yes. I, I would agree with that completely. That, you know, that's about, you know, understanding your customers. And we also mention a little bit, and I think you're alluding to this, the work of Clay Christensen, who's a professor at Harvard Business School. Many of your listeners may know him from the Innovator's Dilemma book he wrote. But he talks a lot about jobs to be done. Uh, the, the consumer may not want just your product. They want to do something with your product. And do you understand what the customer wants to do with your product, but also uh, what emotionally affects them about what they want to do? It has social aspects. Are they going to be working with other people or be around other people when they use it and emotionally? And I'd just like to add, um, when you connect with them emotionally and try to bring them some joy, sometimes it's not just that you bring them pleasure, but you may help them avoid some pain or headaches. I interviewed a accountant who uh, I thought was very effective in dealing with his customers because he realized they caught they would uh, pay him to keep them out of trouble and do all that boring, what 
to them was boring accounting and tax stuff. So he tried to make it easy for them and minimize the, the, the amount of time they had to spend on what they thought was boring and could spend the time on their business. Uh, you know, it's interesting. <clears throat> I um, studied under B.F. Skinner's last student. She was one. Oh. Of, she was one of my uh, professors when I was in graduate school at Washington State University. Mm-hmm. And what you just described, people misinterpret quite frequently, and it's called negative reinforcement, meaning that we are reinforced by avoiding pain. So, so what happens is, <clears throat> for instance, in our cars now we have this bell that goes off if we don't put the seatbelt on. So we are reinforced for putting the seatbelt on so we can eliminate the sound of the bell. And what you're talking about here is negative reinforcement. And Steve Jobs talks about this when I was, I speak around the country and in Canada as well. And one of the things that Steve Jobs talked about when he would speak is he would say, identify the customer's pain and then be the solution for that because then it becomes reinforcing for them to use that because you are the solution for pain. And that's, I, and I love that concept. And sadly, we misinterpret negative reinforcement for negative punishment or positive punishment. We don't, we don't, what we don't understand about reinforcement and punishment is it's actually a four, it's a four quadrants and, and of, of negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, and positive punishment. But that all being said, what you're describing here is a negative reinforcement model, which is extraordinarily powerful. That if I can do something to avoid pain, I will continue to do that again and again and again. Yes, yes, that that's a very good uh, insight and way to put it. When we talked about this essence of understanding the essence of what your product does, you know, kind of on a gut and emotional as well as rational level, we say your the, your essence should be meaningful and joyful. Mm. So meaningful in the sense that the person can justify rationally uh, adopting or buying what you're what you're proposing but also joyful in that it energizes them emotionally. And as you say, energy might not might come from it actually makes them joyful, but energy also, positive energy comes by avoiding the negative energy of, of uh, something that causes them anxiety. Do you, think, do you think, James, do you think that people really buy rationally at all? There's an old marketing saying that people buy on emotion and justify the buy rationally. Yeah, right, yes. That's and, and, going. <laughs> and I, I agree with that. So in the person's mind, they're probably thinking about the rationalizing they're doing to justify the decision, but their initial impulse uh, to be attracted to something is probably uh, emotional. I, I, t- I totally agree. With that, and because I, I I see it all the time as somebody who works with businesses and sees the consumer do what they do, and I shake my head so many times. And I I talk to people anecdotally from time to time. You know, they'll say, I'll talk to an engineer type who will say, you know, I bought my car; it was all logical decision. And I'll say, Oh, really? I said, So what color is your car? Oh, well, it's this beautiful blue. And I said, Where's the logic in beautiful blue? Why didn't you yes. get the cheaper color? You know, yes. you know, white and cream is free. So right. you could have gotten those for free, but you paid extra for the blue. I said, do you have any other? Well, well, okay, maybe that, but everything else, I go, well, do you have any other bells and whistles? Did you get anything? Uh, yeah, did, 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 did they get the uh, uh, the sports suspension system, you know, so they could corner a little faster? <laughs> and you start, you start, you start, you know, really questioning these people, and then they start going, Oh my, oh my gosh. I mean, he literally walked away from me because it was like, I had, you know, here was his whole logical argument. I bought this car logically, but the truth was we rationalize it, right? I mean, uh, I think Dr. Dan Airely, uh, formerly of MIT, and I think he's at the Duke Business School now, uh, you know, he, he wrote in his book, uh, Irrationally Predictable, or is that, you know, we will, we will rationalize and, and be convinced that our own rationalizations are absolutely accurate when the fact of the matter is it's our emotions that ruled the day. And, oh, I think you're really right there. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I think that's what you're saying here, too. And I, and I think this is probably where your book is really headed, too, is that 
it, it's getting people really to come to grips with the idea and also businesses to understand that if you're going to take a logical if you're going to take a logical approach with the consumer, you're going to play it inevitably just play a numbers game. That's all you're going to play. It's going to be about numbers. If you get if you can reach enough people and you have the money to do it, you'll get enough numbers back. But if you don't have the budget, if you don't have the money, then you've got to be able to touch them emotionally because it is emotionally why they are going to do what they're going to do. It's why they're going to connect with you and why they're going to want to purchase your product, purchase it again, and then tell others about it. I think that's where you're headed. Yes, yes, I, I agree with that. Uh, we ha- we talk about what we call several building blocks of building flair, like using storytelling, creating an experience, using entertainment. But one of our building blocks is sincerity, that while you are trying to engage emotionally with the customer, to be effective, it needs to be sincere to the product or to the offering or, or to what, what you're pitching the, the ideas. Uh, you're not just playing a coat of red paint on it. Um, I, I used to use the example of something that wouldn't be sincere if a speaker gets up before an audience and they're wearing a red suit. Um, you, know, you know, they'll be noticeable, but that's not sincere uh, to their being a speaker. But then um, I saw a few months ago a magazine cover on a magazine that comes sometimes with the Financial Times newspaper. And they had a man in the red suit on the cover. And I says, whoa, what's this? <laughs> this guy's blowing out of the water, my example of not being sincere in a red suit. Well, then when I looked closely, he was the head of Ferrari. And, of course, Ferrari's sure. known for red sports cars. So to him, a red suit was sincere. But we do encourage our readers, and I hope your listeners, that if they do start bringing emotion into their work, to be sure it's sincere so, so people won't think they're being flim-flammed. And I, and I agree with that so much. When I wrote Got Social Mediology, one of the things I said about doing business on social media is the authenticity. If you, yes. if people can read through either a lack of sincerity or a lack of authenticity, people can read through that very quickly. And if, and especially when you're trying to touch someone emotionally, right? And you're trying to get them, we understand the games. We've been around long enough where we've got enough cynicism and we, you know, and we, that, that we just do not necessarily trust people, especially from a business standpoint immediately anyway. So it requires authenticity or as you refer to it, sincerity. But let's be also both be honest with each other, regardless of the term that we use, sincerity or authenticity. It does take some time, and so there has to be a little patience, right? Yes. Yes, I, I agree with that. Another one of our building blocks is excellence, uh, that no matter how engaging your product is, if people pick it up and use it or they adopt your idea or start to explore it and it doesn't have it's not excellent, they're going to be disappointed. Uh, you can energize people just on excellence, something, wow, this is really, I can tell, well-made, and I really like driving it. Of course, you know, that's why people buy Porsches and BMWs. But the lack of excellence can have a very negative effect, and people will be turned off and won't come back to you. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's hard to get them back, isn't it? I mean, yes. it's it's so difficult. Uh, when I talk yeah, that to- comes, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that comes back to the sincerity or authenticity, which is, along with those things, is, is truthfulness and, and gets into trust. Mm. You want the customers to trust you, and, of course, trust is an emotional thing as well as rationally. You, and, uh, you, know, you go through and recount your past experiences with somebody, uh, but trust is, is an emotional, uh, emotional thing. I, I love that you say that because... I have taught colleges for years, and I've taught several different pieces of subject matter, psychology, cultural diversity, other such things. And I speak around, as, I, as I've said, I speak around the country on all sorts of business issues. And I will say to a group of business people, trust is like respect. It's not earned. It's given. Mm-hmm. And people get angry with, angry with me when I say, 
you don't earn anybody's trust. And they will say, and again, this is the emotional part of them who rationalizes it later. They will say, no, that's absolutely not true. And I will say to them, okay, why don't you give me a list of everything that I have to do in order for you to trust me? And you make that list, and I will do everything on that list. And at the end of the day, if I do every single thing on that list, you still have a choice of whether you want to trust me or not. It's, it's, it's a, it's, so it becomes a choice, but they don't see it as that. They see that you've had to, you know, go through the hoops or run through the ringer, but that's not true. If we, you know, there's a, I, I can't remember, this is, I think it's back from marketing back in the twenties, but the whole, the whole concept of trust is, is no like and trust and it works in that order. And that is, we don't give our money to, to people we don't trust. We don't trust people we don't like and we don't like people we don't know. And yet, we, if we get to know people and you have likability, you have a higher level of trust factor, as, as Dr. Robert Cialdini talks about in his book, uh, The Power of Influence, The Psychology of Power of Influence. And I, I think that's what you're just alluded to here, and I love to hear people when they say that. Trust is an emotional thing. It is not, it is not logical. There is nothing logical about trusting another human being if you really think about it for a second. There's nothing logical about it. But but it is emotional. Um, again, I agree with you, and I would like to compliment you on the way you explain that, but also point out to your audience uh, a very good technique for flair and engaging emotionally is one of the things you did just now and you had done earlier, is you gave a concrete example uh, uh, of when you talked about making a list of things that would engender trust and I'll do all those at the end of the day, but the person may not necessarily trust me just because I did those things. You've, you, you, you've engaged your listeners in with that and given them an example, not just lectured, and you also kind of created, your example was so good because it created an experience. The audience can imagine themselves actually making this list and such. So I just wanted to point out to your audience that we have a live example here of a really good technique for, for building flair and an emotional connection. I, I really appreciate that, James. But the fact of the matter is I do it because I have failed so many other ways. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, of course, you know, we have to do trial and error and we try things. You know, if I wrote the book again, there's some things I'd change, you know, I, I know in it. And, and uh I've been giving talks about it and writing little articles related to it, and I think each one is is better than the last, just for the reason you say. Well, and 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 just speaking author to author, uh, when you wrote this, when you wrote the book, did and you and your daughter, and I don't want to I don't want to exclude Jennifer because I know she's been a big part of it, but when you wrote the book, just as an author, I mean, did you? When you, how did the journey start? I mean, what is, what was it that just inspired you or did it, was it an inspiration or was it, was there a conversation? Was there, what was it that sparked this to, to create the book? Well, okay, I'm the father in this, so I'm the older one. <laughs> and to me, I kind of reflect back on, on the work I've done and how I've done the work and where I've had successes and I haven't. And I felt I'd learned some things that I wanted to share. And one of them was, even though I started out in engineering and I ended up uh, working on integrating humans and technology in the workplace so they can work together uh, seamlessly and efficiently, um, a few years ago I had discovered storytelling and creating experience as a way to communicate and I found I was doing much more effective with clients and customers and colleagues and such when I use that in my talking and writing and my daughter working in fashion design uh, of course is involved with emotional connections every day in her work and how to create those so we, we you know we talk together and um, felt there was quite a bit here to share with other people, you know, my thing uh, from sharing it within how you can do it in, in the work world, and her thing about uh, helping people who don't necessarily work in creative fields, but that they could be creative. One of our messages in the book is that anybody can be creative. The people like my daughter in fashion design, uh, or if you work in 
the graphic arts or, or, or such, those people don't wait around for inspiration. There, there's an expression of inspiration is for amateurs. If you need to create something every day, you, you can't wait for inspiration. They actually follow uh, processes that they've developed. And one of the surprises to us is in doing the book, we interviewed fashion design directors, uh, not runway fashion, but ones where Jennifer had worked for, for Reebok in Canton, Massachusetts, uh, people who design uniforms uh, for the pro and college sports teams and fan gear that those teams sell. Uh, we, we interviewed a dance choreographer, a curator at the Museum of Fine Arts, an architect who designs exhibition spaces like aquariums or zoos. And not only did they use processes in their creativity, there was a lot of commonality in those processes. And so we drew out that com commonality. And in our book, uh, we cover how people you know, can be creative even though they think, oh, I don't have the inspiration. But you know, we can talk. We talk about how to really understand what's the meaningful and joyful essence of what you're working on, and how do you incorporate flair to energize people around it. And then, very importantly, how do you validate that flair that it's effective and sincere? So, how much research did you put into? Did you and Jennifer put into this book? Oh, there was quite a bit. As I said, we did the, the interviews. Um, and there's, there's some real slogging through on those and transcribing them and, 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 and such, uh, because one of the techniques in the narrative nonfiction that we use is to use quotes. Um, you use dialogue, and we wanted that dialogue to actually reflect what the people said. Uh, we also did a lot of, of, of reading. I read books on storytelling and about emotions like happiness and beauty um, and such, and entertainment, why in certain kinds of entertainment work. Uh, we also, uh, Jennifer, having studied fashion design in school, but she also, uh, you know, was, was uh, at that time uh, applying for graduate programs in fashion design management, and she had been doing uh, quite a bit of work relating to that so she could make her applications look good. And of course, working in the fashion industry, she was very aware of the literature in that field. And I myself, for a number of years, have followed graphic design, uh, even though I don't work in that field, because graphic designers are in between a company that wants to get a message out about their product and the customer who they want to get engaged about the process, the product, and they need to create a simple visual with a few words to do that, and they have to get into the essence of it. And I've also uh, been attending for a number of years uh, a conference in Boston each year on narrative uh, journalism, uh, which was originally done by the Neiman Fellows Program at Harvard, and now the School of Communications at Boston University runs these. So some of the ideas have been kicking around for several years before we started the book. And then when we did the book, um, we did quite a bit of research. And I'll just end by saying we didn't want to just present these techniques and building blocks for flair, but we also wanted to explain why they worked. And that was a, a lot of the subject that we tried to get through in our research. That's, that's awesome. And, and James, I'm just going to, Follow up with one other thing, and then I'm going to let you jump in here. So uh, I heard you say that you were studying happiness. The term that we use in psychology for happiness, and I don't know if you ran across this term, but I think it's hilarious because I, I, I say it to my students, is that there's no such mm -hmm. thing as happiness in the psychology literature. We mm -hmm. call it subjective well-being. Ah. <laughs> Well, I, I think you're going to engage people rationally there and not so much emotionally when you use that term. It is, it is our psychological term for happiness is subjective well-being. And I, James, I wish I could make this up, but there's actually a piece of research on the subjective well-being of chickens. And I, I've, and, and, and oh, my. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. So if, as you're studying happiness, look up subjective well-being. And I think okay. a whole bunch of, uh, I think you get a whole bunch of interesting work done on subjective well-being because it's, it's really, really fascinating stuff. I, I find it sometimes in my own 
field of psychology, I find it absurd because it's so silly. But yes, it's it. We, they don't call it happiness; it's subjective well-being. Your book is your book is great. How do we get a hold of this? How do we get a hold of this book? Uh, well, it's available at Amazon. Um, some bookstores have it. I know in the Boston area, some of the Barnes and Nobles do. Uh, but Amazon would probably be the easiest way. Uh, for your listeners to to look it out, and of course there's descriptive material and testimonials, and if they want to check out my website, which uh, talks more about the concepts um, and and about the book, it's simply jimpogue.com, J-I-M-P-O-A-G-E.com, and Jim Pogues all run together. Now, Perfect. now, Jim, this uh, this book is absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I know that uh, a, a lot of folks are, are going to be picking this book up. Um, if people want to communicate with you guys on social media, is, is there a possibility they can do that or a website or, or something you can you can give us here? Um, sure. Um, oh, first let me just remind your readers the name of the book. It's Flair, F-L-A-I-R, and the authors are Jim Pogue, me, P as in Paul, O-A-G-E, and Jennifer Pogue, P-O-A-G-E, of course, again. Um, yes, uh, um, let's see, what's the best way to, to uh, I, I, we do, I do have a author Facebook page, which is Jim Pogue Flair, uh, together, so you don't, I don't, you don't need, to, we don't need to be friends to do that, since it's a business page, an author page. Uh, I don't mind giving out my email address. Uh, which again is just simply jimpogue at gmail dot com, and again jimpogue all run together. Um, I I do do some tweeting, but I haven't been doing too much, so I I need to <laughs> need to get back to that. There's there's so much to do with book publicity. Uh, I, I'm sure some of you know that uh, uh, publishers don't do much of that anymore, unless you're Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, right. You have to do it yourself. Uh, I tell people that if Malcolm Gladwell proposed a book on watching paint dry, the publishers would snap it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I just liked your page, by the way, uh, Jim Pogue Flair. I looked up, actually, I found it easier. If you're on Facebook, it's easy. Just look up Jim Pogue, P-O-A-G-E, and then up will pop Flair, and there will be a big orange Flair uh, from the cover of the book. There. Yep. It's got up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, and I've started a newsletter, and if you go on my website, you can sign up uh, for the newsletter. I, it comes out monthly. I've had two editions so far. Uh, it's called Liven Up Your Work. And since it's about flair, uh, we have two parts. What One is an example of flair. My first one is paintings that petty pedicab drivers in Cuba put on the back of their pedicabs, and the last one was chocolate displays from chocolate stores that I've been to in Boston, Seattle, and different places. And then each one has a few tips. The first one had some tips about presenting, and the second one some tips in your writing. So uh, it, it's the newsletter is meant to be both uh, whimsical and entertaining as well as have some, some, some serious content to it. Awesome, and I and I noticed that you do you do post out. I mean, you, you find some like I do. You find an interesting article that's relevant to what you do, and you post that out mm-hmm. just for people mm-hmm. to add information. And I noticed that on your website. Yep. And if we have any uh, folks listening who are doing conferences or anything like that, which occasionally we do, Jim is open to be booked. He was he's yes. booked for conferences and uh, speak to speak to your business. He is open to do that and. So please contact him. Make sure you go to Jim Pogue. That's J-I-M-P-O-A-G-E dot com. And you can find his booking material. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a consultant. So if businesses, you're looking to do something a little different with your marketing, why don't you go to jimpogue.com and check him out and make sure you get a copy of the book, Flair. Well, thank you so much. I've spoken to groups from around three people to 300 people and anything from a half-hour talk to a couple-day short course. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Jim, thank you so much for being on the Jiggy Jaguar experience. And and if people will go to the Jim Pogue, that's jimpogue.com, P-O-A-G-E.com. Yep. He also has at the very top of his webpage on the left-hand side, very top, different ways that you can interact with him, whether that be Facebook, LinkedIn, 
or Twitter or his Blogspot blog. And he's got all sorts of things going on there. So just please, listeners, if you are listening to my voice, check out Jim Pogue, J-I-M-P-O-A-G-E dot com. And make sure you pick up a copy of the book, Flair, because I think you're going to love it. Not only does it have is filled with just chock full of just great information, but it's going to help you grow as a human being, I believe, in understanding how people are. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.